Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to worship you in this place. It is all by grace that we get to worship you this morning because we are a people who are sinners in need of a savior. We are broken. We were born in inequity. In sin, our parents conceived us. And we sin because we are sinners. We violate your word, your character, your nature because of how we, we are. Ever since the fall of Adam, Lord, we have had what's called a fallen nature. We've tried to live our lives without you for so long. And, and Lord, the reason why we need grace is even after you redeem us, though we don't deserve it, even after you've granted us faith, even after we've repented and believed, we still try to live our lives without you sometimes. And this morning was a room of people who are guilty, along with me, of trying to live and do without the power of the holy on our side. The people who do without the presence of God accompanying us, the people who do without being diligent in prayer and fasting, we just do. Doing is good, doing is godly. But oftentimes we do without you. We do without consideration of your word. We do without consideration of prayer. We do without the wisdom of other saints around us. We just do, and it shows us the sickness within us that we are woefully self-sufficient. We live a life of self-sufficiency. We truly believe that we can, and we need you to remind us, no, Lord, we can't apart from you. All the success that we can have in our businesses and in our endeavors are for naught if they don't glorify the king. And Lord, sometimes we say we're going to glorify you by doing these things, but this may not be how you want to be glorified. We didn't even consult you. We just did it. And, and for many of us in this room, including myself, we don't want people thinking for us. We don't like that. And how dare we think for you? You've revealed your word to us. And you've told us to pray without ceasing. You've told us your, 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 your divine will through your word. And then we do. We're people who've had a long week. We've seen a lot of headlines. There's been a lot of tragedies. There's been a lot of loss of life in this sin-filled world. And Lord, though we cannot save every soul, we can't protect people from other people's evil. We don't have the means, the capability. The government doesn't have the means and the capability. Though we can't, Lord, while we're here, we can tell them about a Savior. We can tell them about the redemption that comes through the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. We can tell them that if they repent and believe, though they may die, they shall ever live, as John eleven twenty five 25 tells us. And that if they believe, they will surely never die, because they will ever, forever be in the presence of our God and Savior. And so, Lord, this morning, enlighten our eyes. This morning, grow us closer to you. This morning, Lord, may you and your word be everything. Minimize me, minimize us. Would you get all the glory in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. 
Um, the sound, we good with the sound? Uh, have you ever experienced the dread of silence? Don't you think about that. Have you ever experienced the dread of silence? I experienced the dread of silence when I was a kid. Uh, I was a wee little boy and I was a naughty little boy. And my, my, I came home from school on a Friday and I was fighting with my mother. She wanted me to eat my dinner and I was, I was causing a ruckus, didn't want to eat my dinner. And then uh, after I was done eating my dinner, I started giving her attitude because she told me I had to finish my homework. And if y'all have kids, y'all know what it is. It's like that. Y'all have nephews and nieces that come to your house, tell them they got to do their homework, and they're, oh, right? And then it's Friday, so it's about that time I could watch TV. And right about that time I was ready to watch TV, she told me to go to my room and clean my filthy room. When you're a little kid, that's, that's, that's murder. I didn't want to eat. You made me do my homework. You told me to clean my room. And so I whispered under, under my breath to her. I was like, man, I hate you. Wish you would just go away. Little did I know mama heard me. Y'all know what happened next, right? I whispered that under my breath. She heard me. But she didn't do what I thought she was going to do. She turned her eyes. And she get, and y'all, know, y'all know that look? That, that, that you got your mama gave you. She didn't say nothing to you, but you know what that meant. She gave me that look. And then she said, oh, it's like that? That's what she said. Now, instantly, I was like, oh, it's about to go down. Right? I was ready, mentally ready for the smoke. Here it comes. And she said, it's like that? Okay. From that moment on, I was dead to her. She didn't say goodnight to me that night. She didn't ask me to clean up nothing. She just point. She just left me alone. And for that, for that first night, it was kind of good. I was like, cool, I got to do nothing. I started playing games, watching TV. But after about a day of her not speaking to me, I started to feel a way. There was weight on me. I started missing my mother's attention. I didn't realize how much I needed her presence. I would go up to her and I'd compliment her. She wouldn't say nothing. I told her I loved her. She turned her head. I tried to snuggle up under her, and she got up and walked in the other room. And I remember at that point, I apologized. I was like, Mom, sorry. And she was just like, hmm, and kept it moving. And that next day, I broke. It was no longer that, that cavalier, I'm sorry, anymore. She's, I broke. Her silence broke me more than a whooping could ever do. And I, I got on my knees in my room, and I was just sobbing. I was crying. I wasn't being, I didn't even know what I was saying. I was hurting. And I instantly, I remember at that moment, I truly regretted my statements. And at that moment, I was, I was truly like, man, why, why did I say that? I didn't even mean that. Why did I say that to her? I, I just wanted my, my mother back. My sins kept me far from her, and she was teaching me a lesson. But one thing I could never shake after I repented and she, she came back to me and she held me and she cried with me and she told me she loved me and I needed that. But I'll never forget the deafening sound of her silence. 
It sounds like nothing when you say the dread of silence. Sounds like nothing. It's because maybe you haven't experienced the dread of silence. Or maybe you think you haven't. This morning's text, we're going to find the naughty people who, just like me, had disregard for their maker. And as a result, they're going to experience the dread of deafening silence. And if we don't learn from their example, we will live in a perpetual state of deafening silence from God. Open in your Bibles to the book of Amos, chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. We're going to consider verses 11 through 14. It starts off with this in in verse 11. One word, look. Some of your translations may may say behold, okay? When you see that word, start paying attention to the text with, with earnestness. Okay, look means pay attention. It means, it means be, you're about to be warned of something. And then, and then Amos says, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord, right? He says, these days are coming. Warning, ladies and gentlemen, a warning is a love language. When somebody warns you of something, it means that there's still time to turn from what seems to be inevitable. Okay, so when somebody's warning you, it's love. And here God is telling them, behold, look, pay attention. The days are coming. He's flashing a warning sign. Verse 11, look, the days are coming. This is the declaration declaration of the Lord. When I will send a famine through the land. Stop there. Family, a famine is a time where there's severe drought in an area. And there's no rain. When there's no rain, all farming and agriculture ceases. There's no rain, there's no growing of vegetation. If there's no vegetation, the the animal wildlife has nothing to eat. If they have nothing to eat and die off, we have nothing to eat, right? And so when there's a famine, it's harsh, dry, desert-like conditions. Everybody's hungry, everybody's desperate. Everybody's willing to hurt somebody else in order to get a drop of water because there's no water. There's no food. See, in 21st century America, we have no idea what a famine is like. Imagine the Internet broke. Okay, imagine the Internet, literally the Internet broke. No, no, nothing, no online, nothing. The chaos that would ensue after that would be dramatic. Okay, I don't even know how what else to compare it to. But there's no food. The conditions are dry. The land is hard. People are dying. People are are dying of starvation. Stores are being looted. We know what that's like. Remember Snowmageddon? And the Lord says, a famine is coming, says the Lord. But it's not the type of famine that they may be expecting. Look at verse 11. Continues, it says, not a famine of bread or of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of God. The people of Israel had been disobedient to the Lord. They acted evil toward one another. They had disregard for God's word. And so God looks at them and he says, oh, it's like that? Be warned, it's coming a famine. If you want to know what they were doing, look at your cross-reference link at Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Listen to what they were doing. The people of Israel have sinned again and again. 
and I will not let them go unpunished. This is what God says. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. Okay, they're selling people. Okay, let that hit. They trample the helpless, helpless people in the, in the dust, and they shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their, look at verse 8. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. Y'all know what that means? They're selling people. They're casting away the oppressed, but they still go into church. In the garb of the people whom they oppressed. Y'all see what's happening? It says, in the house, in the house of their gods, right? In the house of their gods, because he's not claiming them. They drink wine bought with unjust fines. Right? This is the sin of injustice that angered God. God saw the people of Israel disregarding his words and his commands, and then, as a result, they treated each other with contempt. God doesn't like that. You see it again in chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, in the chapter that we're in. Instead of treating people the respect they deserve as image bearers of God, they treated people as a greedy means to an end. I'm convicted right now. Didn't know this was going to happen. But on the way here this morning, I saw a lady without a jacket. And this morning around six, it was cold. And I drove by her. Lord, forgive me. How can we try to advance ourselves financially, occupationally, socially? Even if it means stepping and ignoring image bearers of God around us. You know why I can confess that to y'all? Because I feel like y'all have done the same thing. And we all are in need of God's grace in here. And so what does God do? He gives them over to the desires of their heart. He says, you want rich? You want, you want to be rich? You want money, power, and respect? Have it. You can have it. Go get it. But I'm taking my hands off of you. Look at verse 11. In Amos 8, it says, for there will be a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread or of thirst, but of the hearing of the words of God. I'm taking my hands off of you, and you will be spiritually emaciated now. My silence will be deafening to you. You'll be left to your own devices to reap the fruit of living a life without me and my word. And although that may sound like light work to some of you this morning, here, God's not going to speak to us anymore. That sounds like light work, no. The dread of silence will, will, will crush you. Have you not read about Pharaoh when he had the dream 
and, and, and he, was, he was in desperate need of the true and living God to interpret the dream for him. This is the king of Egypt in desperate need. I need to hear from God's word. This, I'm, I'm dying for it. There was a deafening silence during the days later with King Saul when he had to go to war with the Philistines, and he was in desperate need. God was not speaking to him, and he needed a word from God to know if he was going to go forth, and the silence was crushing him. We read in the CBR recently of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and God did not say anything to him, and so he's summoning all his magicians to come interpret the dream. The, the, not, the, not, hearing from the, not hearing from God was crushing him. He needed the interpretation. I need to hear from God. What does this mean? What is this? Look at your cross-reference sheet of, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 through 31. Look what, God, look, look what this word says. So I called out. So I called out. Right? The action was taken. I called out, and you refused. I extended my hand. And no one paid attention. Verse 25. Since you neglected my counsel and did not accept my correction, I turn, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you, then... They will call to me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but I, they won't find me because they hated knowledge. Didn't choose to fear the Lord. Were not interested in my counsel. Rejected my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be gluttoned with their own schemes. Guys, the silence, the deafening silence of God will leave us in a state of disillusionment and disrepair. I need you to hear these words. Man's greatest plight is to be abandoned by God. That's the worst. Nothing is worse than being abandoned by God. The worst thing that you could ever experience as a people and individually is that God take his hands off of us, off of you. History has proven that when we are left to our own devices, we steal, we kill, we advantage ourselves at the expense of others, we hurt people, we rape, we murder, we pillage. Don't say, no, not me. If not for the Spirit of God restraining your sin, yes, you. You. Your thoughts betray you. Because you've all had those evil sinful, sick thoughts in your head. Something's restraining you. But if no one would know, and you wouldn't have to give an account, and there was no repercussions, would you? Probably. Without him, we have no truth, we have no logic, we have no law, we have no chance. Theologically, this is called we're, we're totally depraved. We are radically corrupted as a people. Romans chapter 3 says a whole lot about us between verses 10 and 18, but here's a summary of it. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
No one seeks for God. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, Every inclination of man's heart is only evil continually. Jeremiah 17 9 says that my heart is desperately sick and wicked. And if we ignore God and ignore his word, we'll reap the fruit of our decisions. You wonder why there's so many successful people who are living in the dread of silence. Their success doesn't, doesn't fulfill the, word of, the void of the word of God in their soul. They made it, they made it, but they cry at night. Why? There's a famine in the land. If God takes his hand off us, we'll be groping in the darkness of our sin, separated from God with no hope of salvation. God has given people over to, the, to their own desires. And is, when God gives people over to their own desires, that's a form of judgment on them. They think they're coming up. No, they're being judged. You find that in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. And Amos rightly describes what it looks like for those people who are being left without God in his word. Look what it says in Amos chapter 8, verse 12. It says, people will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord. But what? They will not find it. The staggering people are such that are weak and easily pushed over. It's like a drunkard. Have you ever seen a drunkard trying to stumbling, trying to find their footing? That, that's, that's a people he's describing. You know, it's funny, it sounds like today's culture. Slipping and sliding and stumbling, trying to find some kind of grounding that's strong enough to hold them. But as soon as they look up, they don't slip. They're already out of step. In the 60s, it was love and acceptance of everybody. Kumbaya, peace, man. Now in the 2020s, it's cancel culture. Ain't nobody good. You say one little thing I don't like, you done. Slipping and sliding, tripping everywhere, stumbling, trying to find our way. The world is full of people staggering around, looking for footing, but finding none. And that's why I love Ephesians 4.14. It's describing a people without solid footing, the solid footing of the word of God, and they're being tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. No, no, we're always being indoctrinated, whether it's by the news or by our friends or whatever it is, something is influencing us. I don't know if you've ever been a victim or you know what it feels like to be tossed and to and fro or be tossed around, whether it's emotionally or physically, but the first thing you look for when, you're, when you've been tossed around for a little bit is what? Solid ground. That's the first thing you're looking for when you get tossed around is solid ground. I want to tell you this morning that the word of God is the stable ground with sure footing. And it's the only one. But if there's a famine in the land of your heart, you will find no solid ground in the indoctrination of man. Instagram will never tell you what you need. It will never stabilize you. It can't. It's not built for that. It doesn't have the power. It's the word of God where we learn the truth of people's value and worth. People matter because they come from God and they bear his image. But I was taught growing up 
that woman, that women are, are objects. Nobody told me that. I was indoctrinated. And then I looked and I saw I had a mother and a sister who raised me. I was conflicted. I don't know what to, is my mother an object? My sister an object? I have three girls, are they objects? I don't know what to believe anymore. They're not objects, but I was built to learn, I was built, I was brought up, I brought up that way. But the scriptures teach that no, we have value and worth. Every person made in the image of God. The word of God tells us as people where to find hope and where to find help. The word of God is where we find the, distinct, the, distinguishing, um, the distinguishing lines between what's right and what's wrong for people. It's the word of God that tells us, it tells people that we're secure under the mighty hand of God. That's why the scriptures say in Psalm 119 that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active and it's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's why Jeremiah 23 says that the word of God is a hammer that breaks the lies of the cultural false prophets to pieces. That's literally what it's saying. Because if you read that passage in Jeremiah, the false prophets are proclaiming something that isn't true. And God's like, I didn't send them to you people, my people. I don't know who they are, but you're listening to them proclaim peace. There is no peace. You are out of line with me, but they're saying you good. You're not good. And so the word of God comes like a hammer that breaks those lies of you good to pieces. This is, this is the great dilemma of mankind. You're not good. You're not okay, and you're not morally good. We're jacked up. We treat each other with contempt, and we disregard the word of God. And God will leave us to our own devices if we tarry in such a way. That's why he says, behold, the days are coming. What's crazy? Why is it self-induced for so many of us? It's self-induced. It's not like when we're in a catacomb with no access to the word of God. It's not like the, the, the veil has not been torn and we don't have direct access as believers to commune and to, to speak to our, our creator. But it's self-induced ignorance, self-induced distance. There's a famine of my own doing. And then I wonder why I slip and I slide and I can't, can't make the heads or the tails. One day we're going to really need God's presence. And I pray that verse 12 doesn't apply to any of us. Look at verse 12. It says that people will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. But I believe this, if we keep the word of God preeminent in our pulpits, we keep God preeminent in our homes, we keep God preeminent in our heart, then we will be able to survive the famine. Our people will make an impact in society at large. I believe that our people will stand against injustice and theological heresy, wanting truth and righteousness for all people because the word of God is infused in your soul and now you have the heart, uh, the heart of God and the mind of Christ. Even then, Lord help us. We'll stagger and stumble for truth and meaning and hope and find none. Look at Amos 8.13. He says, in that day, beautiful young women and young men also will faint of thirst. What's that, what's that meaning? 
Even the strongest of us will faint. Even the most compelling cultural worldviews will ultimately fail to satisfy us. That's why in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man should not live off bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from my mouth. Otherwise, you will be emaciated spiritually. Our mouths will water for right teaching, which leads to repentant living. Look at verse 14. It says, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria say, as, our, as your God lives then, or as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. These are people from these tribes believing and trusting in false gods and false ideologies. And it says they will fall and never rise again. And that's a warning for us as God's people that we cannot drink more deeply from the culture than we do from God's word. We can't say the way of so-and-so or the way of so-and-so before we say the way of Christ. We can't. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? We need to call people to drink from the living waters of God's Word. And this is why Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7, see it in your cross-reference link. Look at what it says. It's an earnest warning to you and to me. And for this world, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Y'all heard that? Warning, there's time to turn still. Remember the beginning of the sermon? Look, behold, there's time to shift. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. You might be thinking, I'm too wicked, I'm too dirty, my thoughts have betrayed me, I'm filthy, he's holy. Look what the text says in verse 7 of Isaiah 55. Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so, me, so he may have compassion on him. And to our God, he will freely forgive. He will freely forgive. It's, it's, it's mercy that we get. Mercy is not getting what our sins and our ignorance deserves. We ignored him. I'm guilty, you guilty. We fight for our own glory and our own uh, 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 comfort and, and well-being. Guilty. We live a life of self-sufficiency. Guilty. And then the enemy puts in our minds, you can't go to God now. But we can Isaiah 55 told us, seek him now while he may be found. Don't continue to ignore him anymore. Guys, consider this a clarion call for you specifically. I don't care if you think you believe or you don't know if you believe. I don't care where you are. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ while he may be found. He is the living water that vanquishes the famine in the land. He is the word of God that was sent down. Remember what God said? I'm sending a famine. I'm taking my word away. Well, 2,000 years ago, he returned it. In the person of Jesus, no more famine, living water, bread that will sustain you for all eternity is found in him. And it's for you. It's for me. I need that bread. Because this morning I sinned against him and I knew it the minute I drove by. But I needed to come to the house of worship to be holy. We turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. You'll be fed and saved. You won't die of starvation. 
He'll make you a new creation. The old will go away, the new will come. He will utterly transform you. Unrecognizable because of the God you serve. Rejected by this world, but loved by the brethren. Loved by the Lord. Willing to turn their back on everything the culture has said, because if it doesn't line up with God's word, it just don't line up. Guys, has there been deafening silence in your heart? And have you been trying to fill it with everything else but God's word? You know if that's you. You try to fill it with money. You try to fill it with good deeds. You try to fill it with doing nice things for people, working a lot. I know some of y'all are guilty of that. You try to, some, you, you, bad things are happening, you just work. So you don't have to think about it. What is it? And you're feeling weak, feeling emaciated, feeling dry and parched, feeling your lack of food spiritually. God sends bread, and he sends water, and he sends it in the person of Jesus. I pray, my prayer for us this morning is that we dine on Jesus throughout this week. That we dine on the word of God tonight, tomorrow, the next day. And we watch as the word does its work in us. You know, when you eat nutritious food, you don't have to do anything else. It builds you. And when you don't eat nutritious food, your body breaks itself down. Would you dine on the word before the famine comes? Because I don't want y'all to die for a lack of God's word. Thinking you're living, having all you want, but turned over into judgment. Let the word of God dwell in you richly so that your outside circumstances have no bearing on the joy you have in Christ. And then everyone will say, what, what, what is that? Oh, I'm fed. I have food you don't know about. The people of Israel in this text disregarded God, disregarded his word, treated each other with evil. But if we regard God, regard his word, then we will see the love that flows from it to one another and for those out there. Lord, would you give us the grace? Would you give us the mercy to come to you and to seek you while you would be found. Lord, you told us in Hebrews chapter 1 that long ago you used to speak to us through the prophets, but now you speak to us through your son. So Lord, we need to hear from him today. We need to hear from him tonight. We need to dine from his word. We need to watch it do its work in ourselves, in our families, in our loved ones. Maybe, just maybe, after just a little, just a little nibble, we'll realize that we have been famished. We've been starving ourselves. And the culture has told us we're too busy to dine from you. May that eternal bread give us the food, the energy to endure. May the living water 
hydrate us to be effective for your glory in this place. May, may we never forget where the power comes from. Lord, we are grateful for you. Though there may be a famine, Lord, you sent bread, you sent water. May we drink of the living water. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.